Good morning. My name is Chris Moore. I serve on staff here at Redeemer. It's a joy to open God's Word with you this morning. We're going to look at a few different passages of Scripture this morning, so I encourage you to take out your Bibles and open them with me. We're going to start in Acts chapter 6. Our introduction will come out of the book of Acts. So please do take a moment to open your Word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you that we're able to gather together and open your word and to learn together, to grow in our love for you. And Father, we pray this morning that your spirit will guide us to truth, that your word will lead us to love you more and more. May we worship you together this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. In Acts 6, we see a story about Stephen, one of the first seven deacons. And I want us to read a little bit about his story as an introduction. We're gonna start in verse eight of chapter six. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. And then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians, and of the Alexandrians, and of those from Sicilia and Asia, they rose up and they disputed with Stephen, but they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and they came upon him and they seized him and they brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place in the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, who will destroy this place, and he will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. And then Stephen speaks. He starts with Abraham, and he walks through the Old Testament, showing how it points to Jesus. And I want us to pick up again at the end of chapter 7 in verse 51 as he's finishing his sermon. And in verse 51 he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice, and they stopped their ears, and they rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he'd said this, he fell asleep. 
And Saul approved of his execution, and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him, but Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Stephen is hated because he spoke of and pointed people to Jesus. The early church was hated and persecuted because they followed Jesus. But that didn't stop them. As they were persecuted, as they were scattered, they kept proclaiming the gospel. This is a hard message to hear, a challenging message to know that following Jesus means that we will be hated, that we will be persecuted. It's challenging for us now. It was challenging back then when Jesus first told the disciples in the upper room. The question is, is why? Why in John 15, in his last private time with the disciples, did Jesus feel like it was so important to prepare them for suffering, for tribulation? Now, the short answer is that this teaching is here in Scripture to prepare them because it was coming. They were going to suffer. They were going to be executed for his name, and he wanted them to be ready. Now, I want us to see and remember where this fits in the book of John and what Jesus' purpose is that evening with the disciples. So John 15, verses 18 and following, are part of the upper room discourse. That's John chapters 13 through 16. It's when Jesus and the disciples go into the upper room on the night of Passover to celebrate Passover together, to have a big feast with one another. Now, after this, chapter 17 is the, what we call the high priestly prayer. It is when Jesus prays for his disciples and prays for those who will believe through their witness before, immediately after that, they leave and he's arrested. Now, before the high priestly prayer, if you go back, John 11, you see Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And the result of that is that they want to kill Jesus because everyone is believing in him. But they don't just want to kill Jesus. They also want to kill Lazarus because it's because of what Jesus did to him, because Jesus raised him from the dead that people are believing. And so the disciples all know this. Jesus knows this. His time is coming. His time to die is coming. And so with that in mind, that night they go up into that upper room. And it's supposed to be a joyous time, a celebration. But their hearts were troubled. We've already studied, we've already seen that Jesus' heart was troubled that night. You know, yes, he's willingly going to the cross. That doesn't make it easy. The disciples were also troubled. They were sorrowful. They were somewhat aware of what was about to happen, but they didn't understand it. They didn't know why Jesus was doing what he was doing. And so the question is, as we dive into this today, is, you know, what was Jesus thinking? What was his main point that night with them? 
He knows what's about to happen. He sees that one of the 12, Judas, is about to betray him. And he knows that immediately after that, and he warns them that, who, Peter is going to deny him three times. But then he, he looks past that as well. He looks past his resurrection. And he looks forward to the time that we see that happens with Stephen when they're getting kicked out of the synagogues, when they're being pulled out of the cities to be stoned and executed. He knows that time is coming. And that's why he tells them in chapter 16, verse 1, well, why am I telling you all of this? Because I don't want you to fall away. I want you to be prepared. I want you to know that they're going to put you out of the synagogues, as he tells us in verse 2 of chapter 16. I want you to know that when men like Saul persecute you and kill you, that they're going to do it in the name of God. But the reality is, is they don't know God. In verse 4 of 16, he says, I've said these things that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. Why remember? Well, remember that God is sovereign. Remember that none of this is happening without Jesus knowing about it. And remember that he's using it. It is part of his plan. And he ends his teaching with that as well. So at the very end of 16, before he prays for them, in chapter 16, verse 32, he says, Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. So the hour when he is going to be crucified. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and leave me alone. When he's arrested, they all go their separate ways. But he says, yet I'm not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Now, a few weeks ago, we talked about this peace. What kind of peace is this? You know, it's not the kind of peace that nations create between each other or ceasefire or anything like that. This isn't peace when a, a brother and a sister are fighting with each other and they decide to, to make up. No. Because of our sin, we are separated from God. We are condemned to eternal punishment. And the peace that he speaks of is that what he's about to do. It's him, Jesus, going to the cross, dying for our sins, and then being raised on the third day. Why? So that whoever believes in him can have life, can have their relationship with God restored so that we can be reconciled. See, that's the only kind of peace that matters. That knowing that, knowing that our life is secure in Christ, well, it means that we can endure whatever comes at us in this world. So that's what he finishes with, that in me you have peace. And in the world, you're going to have tribulation. Yeah, that's not going away. I give you peace, but you will have tribulation in this world. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So even as we're enduring, even as we are being persecuted, remember that our Savior, our King, has already defeated this world. And like him, we're not of the world. So that's his point. That's the whole reason that there's this Q&A session with Jesus in the upper room that night, is to prepare them for what comes after he dies and after he is raised from the dead and goes back to be with his father. To prepare them for a world of tribulation. So that means when he washes their feet in the upper room, he's preparing them for that world of tribulation. You know, he tells them back in chapter 13, verse 14, that if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, 
you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. And then if we jump over to verse 34 of that chapter, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. So he washes their feet. He stoops down and washes their feet, something that they've never done for one another. They don't think they should do for each other. They're too good for that. But their savior, their teacher, he does it for them. And then he tells them to do it for each other. He demonstrates what it looks like to love one another as he loves us. And why? Why are we to love each other as he loves us? Because that's how the world is gonna know that we are his disciples. So he starts there, and then the questions begin to come. Remember I mentioned it was a Q&A session that night. So Peter asked him, well, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus says, well, you can't go right now, but you will follow later. But then Peter's like, well, no, I can. Like, I'm willing to die with you. I can go. And Jesus is like, actually, no, tonight, this very night, you're going to deny me three times. But then Jesus, he answers that first question, where he's going. Well, he's going back to his father, and he's going to prepare a place for the disciples, and he tells them that they know the way. But then Thomas says, but, but Lord, we, we don't know the way. And Jesus answers that question as well. Jesus says, well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, then Philip says, well, show us the Father. And at this point, Jesus rebukes him just a little bit because he's already told him back in chapter 12, verse 44 and 45, he says, if you believe in me, you're not just believing in me, but the Father. But then in 45, he says, if you see me, you see him who sent me. You see the Father. So the disciples should know that as they listen to Jesus, as Jesus teaches them, as they walk with Jesus, they are seeing the Father through him. But they don't quite understand this yet. And Jesus is going to help them. And so Jesus tells them, I'm going to send to you another helper, the Holy Spirit, who will be with you. He goes on to tell them that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, and I'm going to manifest myself. I'm going to make myself known to you. Well, that then leads to Judas, not Iscariot, asking a question. How? How are you going to manifest yourself to us, but not to the world? He asked that in verse 22 of chapter 14. And that's the question Jesus is answering when we get to our section today. So he goes from verse 23 of chapter 14 all the way to verse 16 of chapter 16. Jesus is answering that question. How he's going to manifest himself, how he's gonna make himself known to those who follow him, but not to the world. Now the summary of that is in chapter 15, verse 26 and 27, where he says, well, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you will also bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. So how is Jesus going to manifest himself to us? 
Well, he's going to do it through his spirit. But not just the spirit. He's also going to do it through those who follow him, through those who believe in him. And so I want us to look briefly at how he does that. So if we go back up to chapter 14, verse 23, he starts off and says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So Jesus and the Father, for all who love him, for all who obey him and follow him, Jesus and the Father come and make their home in those people, in us, in the disciples. How does he do this? Well, that's what he tells us down in verse 26. Well, the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. So he makes his home in us through the Spirit who lives in us. And what's the Spirit doing as he's inside of us? Well, he's reminding us of Jesus. He's teaching us about Jesus. He's teaching us the words of God. So that's how the Spirit is going to manifest himself through those of us who believe. But then what about the second part? About, what about how are we bearing witness to Jesus? Well, we see that in chapter 15. You know, he starts off verse 1 of 15, I am the true vine. My father's the vine dresser. Jesus is the true and better Israel. You know, last week, Mike, he took us back into Psalm 80 and into the prophets. And he explained to us how in the Old Testament, it describes Israel as a vine that God planted in the promised land. And this vine grew up and took over all of the promised land. And the point, the purpose was to bear fruit for God. You know, Israel was supposed to fix their eyes on Jesus, fix their eyes on God and what worship, worship him. And what would that do? That was going to lead all the nations around them to worship him as well. You know, the other imagery we see in the Old Testament is about Israel was to be a light a light to the nations, that the nations would see the light and come in to Jerusalem. But that's not what Israel did. Israel actually looked around at all the nations around them. And they saw this part over here that they liked and they chose to worship that idol. And then they looked at this nation over here and saw something that they coveted and they began to worship that too. So they took their eyes off of God and they worshiped everything around them. And so the prophets then tell us that they didn't bear fruit for God that they bore wild fruit or bad fruit. And so now we have Jesus telling us, no, Israel's not the vine, I am. I am the true vine. And he's telling us what to remain in him, that we are like branches that are attached to him, which helps us to understand verse 20 of 14, where he was telling us that he is in the Father and we are in Jesus and Jesus in, is in us. Now that doesn't mean that we're equal with God, not at all. See, that vine imagery explains what that means. It means that what we are in Jesus, we are attached to him for what purpose? Because he is the source of life. We have life because of him, because we remain in him, because we believe in him. And that the life that he provides in us, what happens? Well, Mike showed us last week, well, we bear fruit. You know, when we look over at the second part of that, you know, verses 12 and following, we bear fruit that abides. And this fruit that we're bearing, it also it connects to the love. You know, he tells us that we're to love one another as he has loved us. He goes back there like where he started in chapter 13. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Okay, so he's expanding on what kind of love we're supposed to have for one another. What kind of this self-sacrificial love. But also, he doesn't call them servants anymore but he calls them friends. 
Remember, why does he do that? Well, he says, because all that the Father has told me, I am giving to you. I am telling you. Again, now, how is he doing this? He's already told us the Spirit comes to live in us, to teach us all things about Jesus. And we now know all about the Father through the Spirit. And why? So that we go and bear fruit, and fruit that abides. So if this fruit abides, it means that this fruit is people like us. So another way to say this is that we go and we make disciples who make disciples. And why? That last verse there, 17, so that we love one another. So somehow us bearing fruit, us going and making disciples helps us, is connected to us loving each other as well. Now there's one part we haven't yet covered. Verse 2, he says that every branch that does bear fruit the father, the vine dresser, is going to prune. Well, how does he do that? He hasn't told us. Verses 18 and following, that's what he's doing. He's explaining what pruning looks like. Now, why do you prune a branch? You, know, you prune that branch so that it, it bears more fruit. Now, let's think back to Stephen and what I read for you there in chapter 8 of Acts. As they persecuted the church, what happened? They spread out, they scattered, but as they scattered, they proclaimed the gospel and the church grew. They bore fruit. They bore more fruit. See, this pruning that Jesus is talking about in chapter 15 is the persecution that is coming. This persecution isn't going to stop the spread of the gospel. This persecution is actually going to enable the spread of the gospel to happen. So let's jump in at verse 18 now. So if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now, I know it doesn't make any of us feel good to know that the world hates us. We don't like being hated, and that's, that's okay. That's a good thing. But there's also some comfort here. Jesus has chosen us, those who believe in him. We've been chosen out of the world. All right? That's why the world doesn't love us. He's chosen us. We also know from what we've already read that he's filled us with his spirit. So he doesn't leave us alone to endure this persecution. Now, why does the world hate us? Well, the world hates us because of Jesus. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he's the only way to God the Father. The world rejects that over and over again. And it's been happening all the way back to Cain and Abel. Why did Cain hate Abel and want to kill him and then kill him? Because he was, what, jealous. He coveted the relationship that Abel had with God. See, this has happened over and over. Stephen was telling them this in his sermon. They killed the prophets. Why did they kill the prophets? Because the prophets were pointing to their Savior, to Jesus. And then they, the people he was preaching to, killed Jesus himself. So this persecution is coming because it's the reality of this world, the world hates the light and pushes back against it. The darkness pushes back. So he tells them, 
Verse 20, remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Now, he said this to them already once that night when he washed their feet, when he was giving them the example of how they should love one another. So that statement doesn't just relate to how we serve each other, but also to what we receive. That as we speak of Jesus, as we point people to Jesus, the way people responded to him is also the same way they're going to respond to us. If they would persecute him, they're going to persecute us. Now that means that if Jesus was here with you, you know, if Jesus was to go with you to work, that that coworker who continues to resist the gospel, who continues to mock you because you believe in Jesus, it wouldn't be any different if Jesus was here with you in the flesh. Because he is here with you in, inside. And he's given you the words to speak to your coworker. So when, he, when that coworker rejects you, that coworker rejects Christ. It's the same with our families. You know, when, when, we, when you go home into your family, and whichever family member it may be, a mom or a grandfather or an aunt or an uncle who refuses to believe and is making your life difficult because you confess Christ. You know, sometimes we just like to think, well, if Jesus was here, this person would believe. No. The scripture tells us that if they reject you, they would reject me also. So don't be surprised. We don't have any excuses. God's called us to go and proclaim the gospel. Now, one of the questions, though, is why? Like, when he tells us they're going to persecute us, why do we go and proclaim the gospel? Well, it's because of the second half of that verse. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Yes, yeah, some are going to persecute, some are going to reject, but some are going to hear and believe. Just like as Jesus walked the earth, many heard and many believed, just like many didn't believe. So we go and we proclaim, we bear witness because we love each other in this room. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And we also love our brothers and sisters in Christ who are yet to believe in the gospel. How are we going to find those people if we're not proclaiming the gospel? If we're not speaking the words of Jesus? We're not. So we go out and we proclaim. How? Through the power of the Spirit. What do we proclaim? Well, we proclaim the words of Jesus because it's not about us. It's all about him. We are what his ambassadors for Christ. We go out and speak his words to everyone around us. Now I'm going to jump over the next verse and come back to it, but in verse 22 to 24, I want us to look at those. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen me and hated both me and my father. So what does this mean? Does this mean that if Jesus hadn't come, they would not have committed any sin? You know, that they would be okay, they'd get to go to heaven one day? No, it's not what it means at all. We could go back to John 3:16 and following and see that they are already condemned, but we can also look right before John chapter 12, starting in verse 44. Jesus tells them here, I'm going to start at verse 46, I've come into the world as light 
so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak, and I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus tells them, he tells them that I came to bring life, I came to save. They're already judged because of how they live. They are judged when they reject me. See, the difference now with Jesus coming is that God himself is walking among them. God himself is walking the earth, speaking the words of life to them and doing works, doing miracles that only God himself can do. All of those religious leaders knew that only God himself could raise somebody from the dead, but yet they see it and they reject. And so his point is, as you know, before, before I came, yes, they were rejecting what the words of the prophets, but now I am here. Their Savior, their Messiah has come, and they're continuing to reject. They have rebelled directly against me. Now, why is it here? Why is that here in Scripture? It's to lift up the disciples. It's to remind them, again, that this doesn't surprise him, that just like he's about to be crucified, they're about to kill him, that when they face the persecution, don't be surprised. This is part of God's plan. God knew this was going to happen. It didn't take him by surprise. And he tells them that in that very next word, verse. Verse 25 of 15, the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. He's quoting Psalm 69, verse 4. This is a psalm of King David that he wrote at a time when he was being persecuted for no good reason. He hadn't done something wrong. But people were rising up against him and trying to take the kingdom from him. So Jesus quotes this as prophecy, is pointing forward to the Messiah. And he's saying, no, I didn't come and then face surprise persecution. No, this is, this is how it was supposed to be. This is how God has designed it. So, so be ready. Understand that this is what I wanted to happen. And if we go back into verse 21, all these things they will do to you on account of my name because they did not know him who sent me. So again, why is that there? Because our tendency when we're hated, when we face hardship and persecution is to make it all about us. What did we do wrong? What should we have done different? But Jesus is telling them, it's not about you. It's about me. They're persecuting you because of what I did, because of what I am doing. Because I'm inside of you and I'm speaking the words of life through you to them. So when that persecution comes, don't be looking around and trying to think, well, you know, if I'd only done it this way, or if I just waited a few more weeks to share the gospel with them, it wouldn't, they wouldn't have resisted. No. Jesus says it's going to come. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't blame ourselves. We should know that he's prepared us for this. This is in Scripture to let us know that it's going to happen. So let's be ready. How is he making us ready? Well, again, that verse 26 there, but the helper comes when the helper comes. Whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. 
So he sends us the Holy Spirit for those times, for the persecution. The Holy Spirit is in us for what purpose? Well, first and foremost, to point us to Jesus so that we are looking at Jesus, not at the world around us. Because without the Spirit, I mean, we read Scripture and we know without a doubt, without the Spirit, we'd be just like Israel. We'd be looking around at everybody around us and all the amazing things that we see in this world, and we would want this fancy car or this amazing job or this bigger house, and we would be coveting all of these things, and we would be running after the desires of our heart instead of running after Christ. But no, we don't because the Spirit, God himself is in us, pointing us, reminding us to Jesus at all times. And that's not all he does. I want us to turn briefly back to Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. This is in the, in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus is preparing them for persecution. He says in verse 16 of chapter 10, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So the Spirit is in us to bear witness to Jesus to us, but then also to speak through us in the times of persecution. See, that's then that verse 27, that as Jesus, as the Spirit and Jesus point us to God, we can't help ourselves, but what to bear witness. We bear witness to Christ as well. We live out these verses that we read before, verses 16 and 17, where we are going out and we're bearing fruit We're bearing fruit that abides. Why? Because Jesus is in us. Jesus is teaching us about him, and we are worshiping him. As we live our lives, we can't help but speak of how amazing he is. Now, how does this all work? You know, we read earlier in chapter 14, verse 26, that the Spirit teaches us all things. Well, how is the Spirit teaching us about Jesus? Well, that's why it's so important for us to be reading the Word, to be studying the Word every day. Because as we study and read God's Word, the Spirit gives us understanding. And then as we're living our life, as we're at work, as we're at home with our family, as we're in our neighborhood, the Spirit reminds us of God's words. You know, when we have a conversation with someone, the Spirit gives us the words to say. You know, often when I talk with many of you about sharing the gospel, the biggest fear that most of us have is not knowing what to say. If we start a gospel conversation, that someone's going to ask us a question, and we're not going to know the answer. The best way we prepare to share the gospel is to read and study the Bible every day. And then we go out, we start a conversation, we turn that conversation to Jesus, And we trust, we trust that the Spirit will give us the words to say, give us the answers to the questions that people will ask. So we live in this world, 
in a world of tribulation, a world of suffering. And Jesus is making himself known to us through his spirit and known to others through us. How? How do we do this? How do we endure persecution? I mean, Jesus was concerned about them falling away. That's what the beginning of chapter 16 is all about. Peter falls away that night. That very night, he's going to deny Jesus three times. But that was the last time Peter ever denied Jesus. Because when Jesus returned to God the Father and he sent the Spirit and he filled Peter with his Spirit, from that point on, Peter boldly proclaimed the gospel. And all of us who believe in Jesus are filled with that same Spirit, the Spirit that gives us boldness. So we go with the Spirit, but not just the Spirit. Over and over throughout this upper room discourse, Jesus is telling them to pray. Pray for anything in my name and God will give it to you. Now, he's not talking about anything in the whole world. We need to read that in light of his point that night. He's not talking about a fancy car or a bigger house or a nicer job. In a world of tribulation where he's called us to go and bear fruit, we can pray for him to sustain us, for him to provide for us, for him to help us to love one another for him to help us persevere, for him to sanctify us, to grow us to be more and more like Christ. And he gives us the example of what that looks like. If we look in the high priestly prayer, verse 14 of chapter 17, he says, I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, so not just the 11 disciples that are with them, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That would include all of us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. So back over in chapter 13, when he washes their feet, he says, tells them to love each other. Why? Why do we love each other self-sacrificially? So that the world will know that we are his disciples. Now he calls us to be united, to be one. Why? For the same reason, so that the world will know that God the Father sent Jesus. So loving each other and being united go together. So the spirit, our unity and our love for each other, our intentionality to pray, that's all part of it. This is how we endure through tribulation. And it's amazing to see, you know, Alan already read for us, already spoke of Acts chapter 4. I want us to turn over there. But Peter and John in Acts chapter 4 go before the, the council. Why? Well, they'd been preaching the gospel. 5,000 men believed when they preached. This was upsetting the religious leaders, so they pull them in and they interrogate them. And they ask him, by what power or what name are you doing this? And in verse 8 of chapter 4 of Acts, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Wow. Ordinary men boldly proclaiming the gospel. We are able to do the same. And they left there that day praising God because they were worthy to suffer for the name of Jesus. And as Alan already showed us, they went out and prayed for boldness. And then one more time over in Acts chapter 5, we see the apostles are out sharing the gospel and they get arrested. They're put in prison. And that night in prison, the, an angel shows up and he lets them out and he says, go, go back into the temple and proclaim the words of life. And they do. At dawn, they go back and they start preaching the gospel. So the religious leaders find out. They send the, the captain of the guard to get them and they come before them and they're like, what are you doing? We told you not to do this. Don't bring that man's blood on our heads. <clears throat> and Peter, verse 29 of chapter 5, <clears throat> Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed, by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. Does that sound familiar? It's almost a direct quote out of John 15, those last two verses. The Holy Spirit is a witness, and so are they to Jesus. The world hated those disciples. The world killed most of those disciples. We will be hated today as well. But we can endure, we can persevere and stand fast just as they did thanks to the Spirit, thanks to prayer, and thanks to each other. See, as we go out into this world, we don't go alone. We go with each other. Our love for each other sustains us too. So when you go to work, yes, you may be the only Christ follower in your workplace. And when you choose to live for Christ there, to work in a way that is pleasing to God, that may bring hardship, persecution. It could cost you your job. But Jesus is worth it. And you are not alone. We are here with you. Your faith family, we are all here with you. And this is why community groups are so important here at Redeemer. Because it's in that community that we're able to pray for each other, that we're able to bear one another's burdens, that we're able to build each other up to endure the persecution that comes. It's the same related to our families. 
I know some of you face persecution at home. I know that some of you have family members that do not love Jesus. And when you talk about Jesus, they make your life miserable. They threaten to take everything away from you. But they can't take everything. They can take everything in this world away from you, maybe. They can take your inheritance away where you live. But Jesus has secured each one of us. And you are not alone when you go home. God is with you. And we, your church family, are with you as well. Whatever happens to you, we are here with you. We stand with you. Know that. Believe that. Tell us when you're being persecuted so that we can be with you. We can pray for you. We can invite you into our homes. Jesus is worth it. Now, there's another group in this room as well. There are some of you that do not believe in Jesus. You may think, listening to this, that we're, we're all crazy to want to follow Jesus if it means that our life is going to be hard, if it means people can mock us and persecute us. But I tell you, Jesus is worth it. Why? Because again, he, as we've already seen, he doesn't leave us alone, but not just that, he gives us joy. In chapter 15, verse 11, last week we saw that all these things he's spoken to them, he's spoken it to them so that they may have joy, that Jesus' joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. That goes all the way back to the peace. See, because Jesus has reconciled us, restored our relationship with God the Father, and we know that nobody can take that away from us, that we are eternally secure, adopted into his family, we can have joy in the midst of whatever affliction comes our way in this world. As the Apostle Paul says, it's all light momentary affliction because we know that the day is coming when we will be face to face with Jesus and we will spend eternity with him. So I challenge you today that if you don't know Jesus, if you recognize that you've been living for yourself, not for God, if you recognize that Jesus is the only way, that he is the truth and the life, I challenge you to confess your sins to him and turn and follow him. Jesus is worth it. and No one can take us from him. I want to close by reading out of Romans 8. Romans 8, starting in verse 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger 
or the sword. As it is written, for your sake, for the sake of Jesus, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we praise your name. You are king. You are creator. You are sustainer. You are a loving, gracious God who sent Jesus to die so that we may have life. And now you have exalted him. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is our savior. Thank you. Sustain us, Father, in this world. May we boldly bear witness to you every day. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.